Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. So Hebrews chapter 11, we've been going through this whole Faith Hall of Fame. And we're going to move all the way down to verse 30. This has been a lot of fun this week, reading and researching all this. Verse 30, it says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. I want to start off by saying like most of the time not all the time but a lot of the time when the scripture mentions Rahab it mentions her as Rahab the prostitute and I was just thinking like how would you like to be known for your most famous sin right so here we are like 3400 years later and we're still calling her Rahab the prostitute even though she had great faith, according to Hebrews chapter 11, she's like, like, what if everyone knew you as a liar? But, but you had faith, you got saved, but years later, people are still calling you, you know, you know James the liar, or, or, you know, whatever your big sin is. Like, most of us, like, please don't, like, don't keep that, don't keep the, you know, Becky the gossiper, you know, like, all these things that, that we go through, and, and yet, the, the reason it points it out is because here she was, this person of, of sin, of ill repute, and yet she has this great faith in God anyway. Um, what that is, that's a message of hope for us this morning, right? That's a message of hope for us this morning. It's like, hey, it doesn't matter where you've been, you can still exercise great faith where you are. In fact, let's go back there let's let's turn to um i'm preaching the end of my sermon first what am i doing um it's your fault <laughs> uh, let's turn to uh joshua joshua the second chapter and I'm, i am going to read some of this and it's a little bit lengthy reading but i think it's okay because probably you guys haven't read this part of the bible in a while and uh, it's the Word of God. The Word of God is alive and active. So I think it's okay to kind of read through this so you guys know the, the story. What's happened is, is um, as you guys know, Moses led the people out of Egypt. The people of God are out in Egypt. They're out in the wilderness, right? They're just kind of hanging out in the wilderness. And there's a generation that doesn't really trust God or believe in God much. And they all die in the wilderness, and then Moses, his leadership ends, and Joshua, his leadership begins. And now, the plan is now is to go from the wilderness where they've been living in for the last several decades and move into the land that God has promised them, right? And so that's where we are. And it says this, it says they decide to, to send some spies here. So in chapter 2 of Joshua, it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, sent two men secretly, uh, as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Now, 
it says secretly, but we're going to see here in a minute that they're not real great spies. Um, it says, and they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. To me, that's also kind of a weird place to decide to land for the night. And it, verse 2, it says, and it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Remember that whole secretly thing? Yeah, they're not doing such a good job. When the king already knows you're there. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house. For they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And the gate, and when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I did not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax uh, that she had lain uh, in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know, and this is where we see the faith. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And I want to stop right here and say, okay, she's kind of have the choice to make here in this moment. She has a choice to trust in her king her earthly king, the way of life that she's known, or, or to trust the Lord. And she's seen what God has done. She's heard, as, as we find it. it says, and the fear of the Lord, or he says, the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And, and, and I want to stop here because this is, this is where it really is important for us. Here's the thing. Can I tell you something? God likes to show off. He likes to do stuff. Even today, God, God likes to show off that He is God. And what happens is that when God does the stuff, then we have to respond. And, and, and growing up in Christianity, what I've seen a whole lot of the time is the way we respond is like, oh, that was pretty cool, God. But nothing in our life really changes. See, see, the whole reason God is, is showing off is so that we can get a be better revelation of who He is. Not just so that we can say, oh, that's kind of cool. When, when we hear a testimony from someone else, when, whether it be in this church or where you're out or in discipleship or whatever, and someone's given a testimony about something God has done, in your heart you should say, okay, what is this telling me about who God is and how does that make me realize I need to pursue him more? I need to surrender to him more. Because what she could have done when these spies showed up is she could have been like, hey, king, they're right here. Because she trusted more in the ways of man, the ways of God. The reason 
for testimony. The reason that we hear about the good things of God is so that we can more believe in who He is. And that just, once again, can I say, how did these guys hear about what had happened? Well, people were talking about it. And uh, I think it's, I was talking to somebody this week and they were talking, um, we were having this conversation and they were saying, you know, it's really hard for me as a believer to talk about the things God has done in my life. And that, like, I, I'm not trying to say that, like, try to make myself sound better than anybody. I don't understand that issue. Like, that's, that's not a difficulty for me. Um, because I'm putting my eyes, like, the scripture tells us, how, how are they going to believe unless they hear? And, and how are they going to hear unless someone says, like, like, you're going to have to talk about the things God is doing. And if you're nervous about that, if that intimidates you a little bit, I would say you really need to see God. Like, at some point, the fear of God has to be more than the fear of man. And that's what Rahab is demonstrating right here. She's demonstrating a fear of God greater than the fear for her own, from her own king, who if he finds out that she's harboring these two really terrible spies, that, that she's probably going to have consequence come against her. And so that's, that's my heart is, do you know God where you have enough fear of him that you're willing to talk about him in any time, any place? And it's, it's really been a conviction of mine at school, and, and I probably shouldn't talk about this here, but I'm going to anyway. I've done it before. But, but it's been a conviction of mine at school because at school I've, I've held back more in the past because, you know, there's laws and all these things. But then I'm realizing, who am I going to fear? Who am I going to fear? Could, could it cost me? If the school finds out some of the stuff I'm saying to some students, possibly. But at the end of my life, who do I have to answer to? The Arkansas Department of Education or Jesus Christ? If you think I've gone a little extreme, in worldly terms, you're right. But guys, my life on earth is this long, and my eternity is beyond that. And I have to live there. And um, what about obeying the laws of the land? I totally believe we should obey the laws of the land up until the point where they contradict the Word of God. And... I cannot be silent about the message of Jesus Christ. I, I try to be respectful. I love my kids and, and be respectful of, of the things. And of course, I, I can't establish a religion. But it doesn't mean I can't talk about the good things God has done for me. And that's what I'm going to do until the day they tell me I can't. But I will say, I do have favor. I do have favor in my school. And we have godly men and women that are in charge of our, our schools locally. Um, and they're not giving me a hard time at all. So, Anyway, verse 12. This is Rahab talking. And she says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, 
our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And it says, then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall. So she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go to the hills, and our pursuers will encounter you. And I had there three days, and she kind of gives them an escape plan. They come up with a plan, basically, for the sake of time, won't go in there, that basically says, this is how we're going to tell that this is your house, and we won't attack you when, when we all attack. So this is the story of, of Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute, who, and this is what, can I, it gets me, because She's in the same list in Hebrews chapter 11 as like Moses and Joseph and Abraham and Rahab the prostitute, like who saved a couple of really terrible spies. They're just really bad at their job. But, but the reason is, is because she had faith in God and what he could do. She had heard, and so she did something. She acted on that faith. Can I, can I tell you, she said the entire city had heard what God had done. The entire city. They reacted differently, though. Their reaction was, we got to kill these guys. If that's who God is, we got to try, try to do our own plan, right? No, not her. She said, I, I'm going to believe and what God's doing and his plan more than, than our own plan. So it's kind of interesting here because then in Joshua chapter 3, we won't read it, but that's where Israel, um, they're going to cross the Jordan. It's pretty similar to where when they cross the Red Sea on dry ground. Um, and, and some people are like, okay, how, how could this happen? Um, I, I will say this, you can go at it two ways, and it doesn't bother me anyway, but did you guys know back in 1927, in the same spot, it's called, we'd say Adam, but in the same spot of the Jordan River, what it says is the, the water actually piled up at Adam like 15 miles or so upstream, and they crossed on dry ground. And it, was, it said the water was at flood stage. Now, the Jordan River doesn't flood anymore because now they've got irrigation dams and all that stuff and whatever, they control it. But, but in 1927, before all that happened, there was actually an earthquake at the same place and a bunch of rocks and boulders fell into the Jordan River and blocked it so much that downstream it went dry. That's kind of cool. Also, God could have just said, ah, eh, stop water, and the water stopped. Either way, either way, it says they crossed the Jordan River on dry ground when it was at flood stage. That's, that's amazing. That's, that's a whole nother sermon for another time. Um, which I'll probably do because I have a really good one, and it's really good, and if God lets me preach it, I'd like to say that. So here they, they cross the Jordan River on dry ground, and they build a memorial there, which is just awesome in and of itself, to remember what God has done, and now it's time for them to take back the land that God had given them, starting with Jericho. I may have ever heard the story of Jericho. Have you ever seen the VeggieTales, Josh and the Big Wall? Way off. First of all, vegetables can't talk. Donkeys sometimes. Never vegetables. 
Um, I knew it was way off. I, just for fun this week, I pulled up a clip of it, and they were like going around, and, and you know, Larry the Cucumber looks up and shouts the French peas up at the top. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, you guys, I almost showed it, but I was like, no, 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 no. Um, it's off, but, but here's, here's the plan. So they, they're, they're going into the promised land. They're getting ready, and God says, what he says is Jericho, and, and we might read it here in a second. He goes, this is dedicated for complete destruction. Jericho, you don't get to plunder. Jericho is mine. It's a first fruit. Kind of like the way we give, like when we tithe, we're giving our first 10%. We're not just giving some 10%. We're giving our first fruits, right? And then what he's saying is when you come to Jericho, it, it's mine. I want you to destroy it completely, but don't take anything. Don't plunder it, right? And, and we'll see here in a second. What, that's kind of what, what happens here. But, but before that, you're thinking, okay, God's going to give them a plan of attack. And the problem is, We've all heard the story so many times that now it's just a Bible story to us, you know. But this is a weird story. Like you're thinking, think about this. If you're, you're a fighting age young male and you're crossing on dry ground into the Jordan, you're like, this is kind of crazy, right? And you're in the promised land now and they're like, all right, we're about to go attack Jericho. And you're like, all right, God's going to give us some great plan because we're the people of God. And you know, what? I've seen these shows about how Navy SEALs train. And God knows that stuff, right? So he could have given them like Navy SEAL training, like just downloaded it into them. He could have done that. Instead, this is what he says. He goes, all right, we have an issue. I want to make sure that you guys know you belong to me. So the first thing we're going to do is I want you to take all you males that haven't been circumcised yet and let's take care of that. Yeah, go read it. It's even more ouch, right? Um, it, it's like, the, wait, this is plan A? It's like step one. What? <laughs> and that's chapter five. And then they all get healed up. And so now, now, now we're going to get a good plan. Now that we all have this physical sign that we're dedicated to God, now we're going to have a plan. And this is the story many of us have heard so many times. Let's go to chapter 6, because this is where we see it. And once again, I'm going to read through a bunch of this, because I'm not sure the last time you probably read it, and this is good stuff. In chapter 6, it says this, and, and I would recommend going back and, and, and looking at chapter 5, where it says, um, oh, let's do it anyway, 5, it's, 13, it says, and when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he says, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant. And I just, I just want to say, if you ever encounter God, like, we, I think sometimes when we come into worship service, we encounter God and we, our cry is, God, make me feel better. And I think sometimes the reason we feel bad is because all we want is to feel better. I think sometimes God uses our misery to bring us to where he wants us to be, right? It's what the scripture says, 
that which the enemy meant for evil, God takes it and he's like, no, nah, I'm going to get victory out of this. And, and what we should say is when we encounter God is not, God, make me feel better or whatever. What we say is, God, I'm listening. Like my ears are open. What are you trying to speak to me in this moment? Sometimes we can get so focused on the situation at hand where we feel downtrodden and we realize we're in this really not so great situation. It's a little intimidating to look at a city and think we're about to have to go attack that. Why, God, why have you brought me to this point? And as a leader, just as a pastor of a church, sometimes I feel the weight of it. But to think that Joshua is this commander of, of this nation and saying, okay, God, what do you want us to do here? The heaviness of God, why have you brought me to this spot? Can I tell you, God wants you to listen to him rather than all the things that are going on around you because the word he's going to give you is a word of hope. The word he's going to give you is a word of life. And it might not make sense to you. God, none of this makes sense. But the word he wants to give you, his word always brings life. His word brings hope. And this is what he says right here. Um. It says in chapter 6, it says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. Um, none went out, none came in. And the Egyptians would do this as a military tactic sometimes back in the day. They would surround a city sometimes for months just to cut it off from supplies. That was their MO back in this time. And what we're going to find is as we go through this, that's part of the archaeological evidence of why like, it's pretty cool because what, what, what archaeologists have found about Jericho so matches this story. It's so crazy cool, which, I mean, we'd expect it to, right? Um, so they've surrounded it. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. I like the way God says, you already have it. It's already yours. But we're standing outside the wall. He's like, yeah, but I've given it to your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and you shall march, uh, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with ram's horns. When you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, and I love this, think about this. He gets the plan for war and the first thing he does is he calls the priests. This is an important part of their war plan is that God is in it. And, and I think sometimes when we make our plans in life, I have a plan to solve this. My question is, is God in it? Or is it all just you? This is already a crazy plan anyway, so he needs God in it. Um, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let armed men pass on before the ark of the lord and so what we see in the next few verses is they they do just this thing they circle around 
In verse 12, we'll skip down there. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark walked on, and they blew the trumpets continuously, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, and while the trumpets blew continuously. Um, and the second day they marched around the city once, and they returned to the camp, and so they did for six days. And, and here's a, a nice little bit of trivia. You ask people, how many times did they march around Jericho? Most people say seven. You know how many times they really marched around? Thirteen. Because they did once for six days, and on the last day, how many times did they go? Seven. So if you want to really impress somebody, I'm like, how many times they marched around Jericho? It's thirteen. On the seventh day, they rose early at dawn. And marched around the city the same manner seven times. And it was on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And on the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and everything within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute, and there it is again, and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers who we sent but you keep for yourselves or keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction and when you have devoted them excuse me and when you have devoted them you take any of the things devoted things excuse me i'm really struggling here uh make a camp of it he's just saying like like we're devoting all this to god right which is crazy so can i i want to talk to you about the archaeology real quick because i've been like i looked at a ton of it I'm not going to get onto it, but like back in like the early like 1930s, some serious archaeologists went and they excavated all this stuff, and it was really cool because you know what they found? They found that Jericho had been attacked around this time, and and you know what else they found? They found that the walls had fallen. And what's crazy is if you go and look, what they have is so so. You guys know what a retaining wall is, most of you guys, yeah. So what they found was. Jericho was built up kind of on a hill, and what they had done is they had built this 20-foot, about 20-foot retaining wall, and then on top of that, built this, this mud red brick wall. So it was like rock for like 20 feet, and then this red brick. Can you imagine marching around that every day, thinking, I don't know how we're going to get in there. Like, like, that's a tall wall. That's intimidating, especially back then when you hadn't seen many tall things. You've been living in the wilderness for years. Um, that's a wall. Um, and, and when they excavated the site, and this is what's so crazy, what they found was, was and, and the first guy that excavated, uh, he, said, uh, he said, oh man, it's just like the Bible says. That's what he said. Then some lady came up, and in, in, uh, her name was Kathleen Kenyon. She came up in the 50s, and she said, well, it's kind of like what the Bible said, but when you date some of this pottery and stuff, it, the dates don't match. And it uh, turns out she was just taking a small sample and she thought it, the whole attack had happened 150 years earlier than it should have. Um, since then, archaeologists have come back, come back and read, like, tested the dates and everything. And they're like, oh, no, this happened right when the Bible said it happened. And it's been pretty exciting. But when they, when they blew their trumpets and when they shouted, what happened was, is this is what archaeology shows us, that wall on top, it just fell down. All those red bricks, mud bricks just fell down against that retaining wall and then these guys just had a nice ramp 
to go straight up into the city. That's crazy. Like, like, this is what I'm saying right now. That's, that's just archaeology. Like, what they just, I mean, go, go home and YouTube it. It's like one of the, it gave me goosebumps all week watching. I'm like, and of course, the lady who didn't think it was, she was like, well, there was just an earthquake and it fell. And it was like, but, but we know what happened. These guys shouted, and maybe God sent an earthquake right when they shouted. But that means God sent an earthquake right when they shouted. What? Maybe he didn't. Maybe just push it over. And what's crazy is, is when they go around, and, and what we see when we read this story of what happened is, 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 it says that they go to Rahab, the prostitute's house, and her house is still standing. And guess what? Her house was built into the wall. And so actually when you look at the excavation of the ruins of Jericho, we go around to the north part of the city, that part of the wall is actually still standing. So even that matches the biblical account of what happened. And, and there's way more into it. And, and I've promised myself that during this part, I wouldn't get into all that stuff because there's some really like tiny little details of it. They're just way too cool. And I could really nerd out on it for a while. I'm not going to, but I'm going to tell you this archaeology about Jericho matches this description to a T. And it's pretty darn cool. My mom, I'm sorry, I said darn in church. I could have got away with it. So when we look back at Hebrews chapter 11, this is what it says again. It says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Guys, listen, I, I think this whole walking around Jericho thing, that's the most insane battle plan that you could ever come up with. Just to serve. And here's, oh, I have to do this. I, okay. So another thing is, is so they attacked, they attacked in the spring. It says in other places in Joshua. Um, and it says they were only around the city for seven days, whereas the Egyptians would camp out for like months sometimes. And the reason we know this matches too is when, and then they burn the city to the ground. Well, when they excavate the city, they find all these, these jars and different things, and it, the city was burned, and they find all the supplies, like the jars are still full of grain and all the stuff. Like their supplies were still high, meaning... They weren't eating through their supplies. Like, it must have been a short attack. Whatever happened was a short attack. Once again, just matching exactly what the Bible said. And not only that, remember, they were ordered not to plunder the city. It was devoted to the Lord. Just burn it and leave. And so guess what they did? You think they would have, let's take this grain with us. No, it's all still there, which is just crazy cool. Anyway, um, there, now I'm done for real. But it's just cool that it just matches exactly them devoting it to the Lord, just like he said, and, and leaving, except for the ones that didn't, but that's also another story for another time. Um, they paid. Um, go with me to James, because I've been skirting around this, this James section for just a minute uh, as we've been going through here, but I, I actually want to um, read it. I've, I've sort of quoted it and played with it a little bit in other messages but we're just going to actually read through this passage now in james chapter 2 talking about faith this is what it says it says what good is it my brothers if someone says he has faith 
but does not have works, can that faith save him? And then this is what it says. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, uh, verse 14 of chapter 2. I still have pages, sorry. 2.14. It says, And one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And, and what I imagine here is imagine Rahab just being like, yeah, we, got, we believe that you're men of God, but she doesn't actually try to hide them or help them. The spies, right? Or God says, I'm going to give you this city. It's yours, but I want you to walk around it. And they were like, okay. And they just stand there. Like God gave them a word, but then they don't act on it. And what it says here is, is that when someone comes to you and say, hey, I have, I have a need, and you're like, I'm going to pray for you. But you don't try to help them. Uh, like, do you guys realize sometimes the reason the need came to you is because you're supposed to be the, <laughs> like, you're the answer to the prayer. Yes, pray for them, but sometimes you're the answer to the prayer. And that's what Jesus said is like, like, hey, I came and I was hungry, but you didn't feed me. And, and I was in prison, but you didn't visit me. And, and you're like, well, when were you any of these things, Jesus? And he says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. I was talking about it with my daughter one time, and I told her, you know, you've met Jesus before. Of course, I was being a little, you know, trying to mess with her mind a little bit. She's like, when? And we talked about the least of these, right? So maybe you haven't actually met Jesus himself. But the Bible says whatever you've done, even to the kid in your class, it's like doing it to Jesus. And so that's, that's interesting to think about. Walking out this faith. Verse 18 of chapter 2 of James. It says, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Because, you know, demons don't have works, Right? They believe in God just like us, but, but they don't walk in obedience, right? That's what, that's what Rahab was commended for, was because of her obedience versus everyone else's disobedience. And so we know the demons would have disobedience. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, I think he's a little fired up here writing this, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works. And not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. This, this whole thing, it's, 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 it's kind of like John 15 where it says, abide and bear fruit. Right? 
Abide and bear fruit. That if you have faith, there will be a fruit that comes from your faith. And that's like, we, we can't be people, like the scripture says, who just honor God with our lips, but our hearts are far from Him. And that's what happens. If, if you say you have faith, but then there's, there's never any fruit that comes out of that. And that, that's how we know. We, that's how we know someone serving Christ or not, is by the fruit of their life. And, and we know that, you know, if they're a young Christian, there might be some bumps in the road and stuff along the way. But, but, but we look for that fruit, those works. Now, this is where you get into some really dangerous territory when you talk about works. And that's what we see in, let's flip over here to Romans. Some of you might know where we're going already. Uh, some people claim that Romans chapter 4, 3 and 4, actually contradicts James chapter 2. You're going to see why people say that here in just a second. But I would, I would, like, to, um, I would like to start off by saying that if you read the entire book of Romans, what you're going to see is Paul, he says this thing where he talks about those who have a surrendered life to Christ are obedient to the things he commanded. Now, what would you call those? I would call those works, right? That they're walking out this obedience to the things that he has commanded. And we see, uh, and it's in chapter 3, 2, and and this is where we get passages like Romans 3.28. Um, where it says, For we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. But if we go to chapter 4, it says, What shall we say then? Our say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works... He had something to boast about. So now you can see where it seems like he's contradicting James. Now I'm going to tell you right now, he's not. That's why we're reading it here. If he was contradicting, I'd be real scared to read this right now. But we know that the scripture is not, doesn't contradict itself. Uh, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those who lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. That's talking about you and me. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was not after but it was before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. 
and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not uh, who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So, oh, this is what he's saying here. All right, you ready? Let's, let's get into this just a little bit because this is a lot. Something like that was really wordy. It was wordy. It seems to say in James that faith without works is dead, which is actually what it says. That, that you ha- if you have faith, you'll have works. And it seems to say in Romans, what Paul is saying is saying like, look, the works don't matter. It's the faith that brings a righteousness. In reality, they're saying the same thing because the example that Paul is pointing to here is circumcision, which is, you know, let's use that one for now. So what he's saying here is, is wait, Abraham, he had faith faith and it was counted to him as righteous before he did the thing before he did anything at all but what we see here at the end of this passage what it's saying is then he went ahead and got circumcised and what that was is that was just a demonstration of the faith he already had in reality he's saying the same thing as james he's saying look 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 it wasn't the circumcision that gave him faith it was the faith that caused him to be obedient to have the circumcision. Which is what over here what James would say the same thing. He's saying, you know, if you have faith, then you're going to do the things God tells you to do. And if you look at the rest of Romans, we'll see that's the case too. And, and here's where people get this messed up. People get messed up thinking, if, okay, if I start doing all the things, if I have enough works, if I look busy, then it'll look like I have faith. And what Paul is saying is, you've got this by the wrong end of the stick. Doing stuff to look like you have fruit, that's just artificial. Right? How many like orange juice? How many like Sunny Delight? Not orange juice. It's fake. It's debatable. Anyway, um, <laughs> what he's saying is, some people are mustering up fruit, making it look like they have works when really there's nothing to it. This is the criticism that Jesus had of the Pharisees. He said, you're doing all the things, but you really don't have faith. You're just doing all the things. Faith isn't about doing the things. Faith is about believing God. Period. End of story. Maybe not end of story, because then I could just end the sermon right there. But I'm not done. Um, You just believe God, and he counts it to you as righteousness. But here's what God knows. And here's what it tells us in the scripture. Is once we say yes in our heart, once we have that faith, what God knows is then from that will come fruit. And that's over here like James and Paul are both saying together is, listen, it's not the stuff that makes you saved, but a saved person does the stuff. They have the works. They walk out obedience. And that's where we have to get our mind around as, as people of God, as we're going through Hebrews chapter 11, to realize that we have to have faith in things that are unseen and walk out obedience, having hope right there. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, because it's so good. Wait, I was turning to it. I have a bookmark. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 
verse 1. It says, now faith is the assurance. It's the substance. It's concrete. It's the tangible thing of things hoped for. It's that it's the, it's, the, it's the substance of the things that we hope for. It's the proof. It's the evidence. It's the conviction of the things that we don't yet see. And so if we were taking Paul's argument here about circumcision, he's like, look, look, look. look you, you don't think circumcision makes you saved, but, but in, in, in Bible times, you get circumcised because you're obedient to what God wanted you to do. In fact, what's crazy to me is we've, We've studied this in other places, and I think it was at Timothy, who, who here's Paul, he's railing against circumcision, but because he knows these Jews are going to have a problem with, with him being uncircumcised, he says, why don't you go ahead and get circumcised anyway? And this guy's like, you know what? I know I don't have to get circumcised, but I'm going to do it anyway because I love these people, and I don't want anything to be a stumbling block between me and them so they can hear Jesus Christ. What? I'd be like, ah, they're going to hell. (laughs) No. No. And this was crazy. It's like, I'm going to walk out obedience in an area where where I know it's not a requirement, but I'm going to walk it out because I have faith in what God can do. And so the way we take these scriptures today, the way we take Jericho, and the way we take Rahab the prostitute is, is a couple things. First of all, to realize here's this woman of ill repute. And what's crazy is if you go back and look in Matthew at the lineage of Jesus, we find her as one of Jesus' ancestors. What? And, and that's enough, to me, that's just more proof that the gospel is, is, is true. Because if this was made up and you wanted to, like, okay, we need to make a holy man. Okay, he can only have holy men in his lineage. But no, not only are we not just going to have holy men in there, we're going to have women in there, which but at the time was a weird thing to do. And not only that, women of ill repute oh my goodness to say god has mercy and grace and this morning around this room some of you like i really have jacked up in some ways in my life and god is saying this morning i don't care what you've done what i want you to do is exercise faith starting today like the woman they they brought the woman caught in adultery to him he looked around at everybody and says you guys knock it off and he looked at her and says to you Go and sin no more. And what he's doing there, he's like, okay, you also knock it off, but now I'm, I'm, I want to empower you to live the life that you've been called to live. And so this morning, he's like, okay, I've been living this way. Uh, this morning, I would say, okay, knock it off, but God's not out there to hold you out at arm's distance and put you some sort of punishment until you've learned your lesson. Now, he might. I, don't, I mean, I can't say what God's putting you through. We'll talk, if you have a specific situation, come talk to me. We'll talk about it. We'll disciple you. But, but, but God, his, his heart is to restore you to a place where you can walk in confidence and hope that you can see him and realize I'm supposed to look like him. We put our eyes on Jesus because we're supposed to look like Jesus. And we have that hope like like, maybe I don't look like that yet, but I'm going to get a little closer today than I was yesterday. And I see Rahab the prostitute and see how God uses her as an example several times in, in Scripture of someone who walked in faith. So no matter where we are, where we've been, God can use us. 
no matter how broken we seem to be, God can use us if we just have faith. If we just have faith. We put our eyes on the things that are not seen and say, you know, that is real. That is more real than what's going on around me. And then the second would be this, and you guys, if someone can help me out because I'm done, um, is, is this, is that sometimes God gives you the crazy plan. And that's, that's so weird. If you look back in, in all of Hebrews 11, this is not the first time we see God with a crazy plan. But if God gives you a crazy plan, then, then there's one response, is for you to be crazy obedient. That's what Hebrews 11 criticizes the other guys because they weren't obedient. They were disobedient. So they all perished. But if we can walk in the crazy obedience to get God's crazy plans, then, oh my goodness, think about, think about what we can do for the kingdom of God. And what's the goal of all of it? What's the goal? Why do we need this kind of outrageous faith? So people can look at 400 House of Prayer and go like, oh, that's a people of outrageous faith. That would be nice. I would enjoy that. And all the criticism that comes along with it. Those guys are crazy. The point isn't just to be people of crazy, outrageous faith. The point is to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the point. To be obedient so that many may come to know Jesus as both Savior and Lord. So they can surrender their lives to Him. So they can hear the message of Jesus Christ. That He lived a sinless life. That He died a death that He didn't have to die. Taking on our sin and our shame so that we could be counted as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And then rising from the dead, proving that He's victorious. The whole point of having faith is to proclaim that message right there to everyone who will listen and even some who won't. And, and that has to be the point where we reflect on this morning is, is, is I, am I walking out faith so that Jesus can be made famous? Like, like we believe that you should lay hands on people and pray for them. We, we believe in healing. But it's not so people can go, oh, cool, you guys believe in healing. I need to be healed. No, no, no. Even the point of that is to proclaim the name of Jesus, to make Him famous. Everything is about Jesus. And if you realize in your life there's areas where I haven't been walking out obedience, then you need to not, like, the point of this today, if we look at Romans 4 and James 2, the point isn't like, okay, I need to work up some obedience. No, what you need to work up is some faith. Right? You need to work up some faith. If you start with the obedience, then you're just like Paul saying, you got it by the wrong end of the stick. And what it is, is God is so good, is that He he will give you faith. And the other good news is it just takes a little bit. The faith of a mustard seed. I'm going to tell myself. Because God really is 
wanting your faith to produce action in your life. And I know I already said it, but it has to start with faith. We have this little, little tree in our yard, a little tiny one. We, we actually, there was another tree there, and I became friends with this guy who was cutting down trees in our neighborhood. I said, would you cut that one down? He's like, sure. And he cut it down for me for free, and I was like, yay. Um, but in its place grew up another little tree, right? A small little thing. And it was that week where I had preached about Jesus cursing the fig tree. And I was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be full of faith. I walk by this tree every morning on my way to the truck. I walk by this tree every evening on my way back into the house. And so I started doing this. On my way out, little tiny shrubbery. I was like, I curse you. Die. In faith. And I get in my truck and drive away. I get home, get out. I curse you. Die. And walk away. Because I don't want that shrub tree there. I just thought it'd be a really cool story to be like, hey guys, there's this tree in my yard and I cursed it and it died just like Jesus did. And you guys would be like, whoa, Pastor Drew, such faith. So my father-in-law came to visit and he saw that little shrub there growing out of that stump. He'd not been there 10 minutes. He walked over to it and just went, broke it off now it's been a couple weeks it's laying there on the ground dead and I walked out and I saw it laying there dead on the ground and I was like now some of you some of you grew up good charismatic folk you're like oh the Lord did it the Lord did it no Lord convicted Pastor Drew you know what faith is supposed to produce action you know what I should have done weeks ago? Just squash the thing with action, and then it would have been dead. Right? And the Lord knew my heart. The Lord knew that Pastor Drew wanted to curse the tree and it died so people would think Pastor Drew has lots of faith. That doesn't glorify Christ at all. And what I saw, when I saw it laying there, I realized is that it's too many times we say we believe something but we'll never act it out when we we even know how to make it happen and yet we won't do it where's our faith where's our faith faith without works is dead so i, I say again this morning if you're saying I'm, I'm struggling to be obedient in this area i would say get faith and listen to the lord listen to the lord's battle plan no matter how crazy it sounds, no matter how simple it sounds, no matter how complicated it sounds. And then begin to walk that out. Will you stand with me? We're gonna, we're gonna pray. And I'm I'm I want this message to be sincerely encouraging to you. Because if you have faith like a mustard seed, God's talking about how much incredible things you can do. And I believe you can do really incredible things, supernatural even. But it's going to take you walking out in obedience to things God has called you to do. He loves you. You, you, 
you, he loved you no matter where you've been. If you felt like Rahab the prostitute, I, I imagine that this woman must have felt like the lowest, lowest of low in her society. And part of the archaeology things I didn't get into is to live that close to the outside wall means she would have been one of the poorest people in her community. That wasn't prime real estate to live closer to the danger. So here she is, this woman of ill repute with all of her problems and she has an opportunity to save her family just because she believed the word of the Lord. And she saves her entire household because of it. And I say, no matter where you feel like you've been, that you have an opportunity today to speak life and bring life to people around you just by being obedient to what God has called you to do. And I, I speak life in you this morning. That your faith can bring about obedience that brings life to the people around you. Do me a favor, if you feel comfortable to put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you. And I, I just want you to begin to pray a prayer of life to them. Father God, right now we we thank you, Lord, for, for this faith that we've been learning about. Lord God, and I just pray for every person in this room. Father God, that you would increase their measure of faith. Lord Jesus, no matter what their past has been, sometimes our past inhibits our ability to walk in faith. But Lord, just like Rahab, even though her past, she was able to walk out faith. Father God, I pray that every person in this room Lord, would, would set aside the lies of the enemy, Lord, the, the weight of their sin, to, to believe the word and the life of God. Lord Jesus, Lord God, I pray for faith to carry out whatever you call us to, Lord, as a congregation, no matter how crazy the plan sounds, just like Joshua Jericho, Lord, that we would be obedient to walk out the thing you've called us to, and by doing so, Lord, that we will proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, Lord God, that that would be the goal of our life. That would be the motive of everything we do to make you famous, Jesus. That the good news of Jesus Christ would be continually coming from our lips in every situation that we're in. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.